This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello and welcome to The Thin Place, the film geek radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality. Your hosts for this episode are Ken Moorfield, that's me, and Todd Truffin. That's me. This is episode number eight for January 2012, and our topic is Martin Scorsese's Hugo. This is not a spoiler-free discussion. So if you have not already seen the film, this might be a good time to check out one of the other excellent podcasts on Film Geek Radio. So, Todd, we had decided to do a commercial Hollywood film, and we picked Hugo. Any particular reason why that stood out to you before watching as something that might have potential to talk about from a Thin Place perspective? Well, part of it was the director, uh, Martin Scorsese, who throughout his long career has often produced films that you know, have a lot to say about the human spirit, apart from the the one obvious religious film. Many of his, even his gangster films and those sorts of things really kind of get at human nature, those sorts of things. So I thought it'd be interesting to see what Scorsese was doing in a children's film see how he could move in that realm as well, and see if he could also bring some of that depth of uh, meaning to the genre. So Hugo begins with a young boy, Hugo, who's living in a train station in Paris, France, after World War One. He is an orphan who has been adopted by his uncle and fixes the clocks in the train station, and he has an automaton a mechanical man, but he's missing some parts for it and a key that will make it work. He's convinced that if he can get this machine to work that it will give a message from his father. This takes him into contact with a somewhat uh, grumpy and sinister Ben Kingsley character who has a toy shop in the train station from which Hugo tries to get parts to make his machine work that uh, eventually leads to interaction between the Hugo and the man, uh, who turns out to be uh, someone other than who he appears to be. Perhaps we'll get into that when we discuss the spoiler parts of the episode. Am I leaving anything out in terms of the setup? I think that's the important stuff. All right. So from a faith, or spirituality perspective, was there anything that stood out to you in this film? Um, there were a couple of things, um, in, in especially in terms of setup. I, I thought it was interesting that you know, in, in many children's films, especially children's kind of adventure stories, there seems to be a pattern of missing parents, the parents being gone, and sometimes that's just a way to set up. A situation where you have kids running around doing things that, you know, in a normal situation, the, there would be an adult around to say, stop, don't do that. That's dangerous. But in this film, I thought it was interesting. You know, we, we early on find out about the, that the mother is dead. 
but we are shown that the, the young boy does have this strong relationship with his father that's very meaningful and, in fact, is driving his, his kind of obsession with these small parts to, to repair the automaton. And that threat of being taken to the orphanage, uh, there's an inspector character who seems to find no greater glee than to snatch up children running through the train station and sending them to the orphanage. And I just, I, I find that an interesting fear to play out, this idea that we're not connected, you're, you're not part of a family. Right. And that there is, you know, somehow something primal, natural about that fear that can be used and that the, the strong desire is to then be part of something. Right. From a, from a religious perspective, there wasn't much overtly religious, although I, d I do want to perhaps come back to more direct religious implications in a second. From a more general spiritual perspective, I think there are three things that we can talk about. One is uh, the film's advocation of a sense of purpose, which mm -hmm. is what I think you were getting at. Um, it's very interesting that even towards the very end of the film, which degenerates into a chase scene, and uh, the inspector is going to take Hugo to the orphanage. Hugo says, you don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand why I have to do this. I don't understand what any of this means, but I need it to mean something. Uh, there's a discussion between Hugo and uh, the shopkeeper's daughter, about purpose and having mm -hmm. a sense of purpose that without the parents and the relationship, uh, he needs to have something, a project. I need to fix this thing. Uh, I think also thematically there's a strong motif of fixing something that is broken, uh, a mm -hmm. sense of brokenness either on an interpersonal level of what does it mean for people to be broken and what does it mean to fix them. And... I'm going to pull a Rick Perry here because I've forgotten the third one. So maybe we can discuss one of those two and, and the third one will come to me. It's not the EPA. Yeah, the the discussion on purpose is really interesting. In some films, you might think that it, it just sort of got stuck in there because, oh, we have to have a message. But the interesting thing to me about the Hugo and um, Isabel, Elizabeth? I don't remember. The girl's name um, is that Hugo takes her up to this clock tower, and they're looking over Paris, and it's the same shot that they use in the opening credits to to show Paris. And so there there is this definite kind of pointing back and saying, no, this is something that pervades the whole film. You know, we saw that, you know, I showed you this image in the opening credits. Now we're here of a night scene in Paris where the, the, the lines start blurring, like you have uh, taking a photograph with a really slow shutter speed. And the motion of the city turns into a machine. Mm -hmm. and, and this idea that machines don't come with extra parts. Every part has a purpose. And to be broken is, to, is then for the whole machine to be broken. There's a kind of idea of interdependence. And that it really is a work service. You know, no matter how small your purpose is, it does fit into this large machine of the world. The machine motif seemed a little muddled to me in this way. I mean, the, the giant clock 
is certainly a time-honored motif mm-hmm. uh, for deism. It's the metaphor that I use whenever I have to teach deism to my students to say, well, God is the great clockmaker and he puts things in motion. Um, on the one hand, that in the scene that you reference, that actually, that metaphor is worked out in a very positive way because Hugo says machines don't come with extra parts. Therefore, I'm not an extra part. Therefore, right. um, I have some sense of purpose and I just have to find it. On the other hand, there is this very odd dream that Hugo has in the second half of the film in which he has a surrealistic dream that the train hops a trap and goes through the station and... Uh, that's very clearly a reference to how the movie gets into his dream, the early movie that he saw. But then he wakes up from that dream into another dream in which he's waking up from a dream and pulls up his shirt and discovers that he is an automaton. Um, boy, I'll get that, that word <laughs> right sometime before the end of the podcast. And then all of a sudden that, that notion of being the machine or part of the machine seems horrific rather than comforting. And so I'm not sure which message we were meant to take away from that since the dream came later, got the feeling like that was supposed to be significant. But I'm not sure that they ever came back to the machine motif or resolved that tension or ambiguity. Uh, Did you have any thoughts about the dream? About the dream, not really. You know, except in the sense that I, I suppose one could say that the the problem in the dream was that he was becoming the man-made machine. Um, he was becoming the automaton. Mm-hmm. Whereas when he's looking out over Paris, it's it's the world. It's not. It's a, It's the machine. It's it's the much more metaphorical machine of people interacting with each other. It's not just becoming a lifeless hunk of metal. Actually, where I where I think this gets interesting is when we start looking at the inspector character. Okay. Um, who, early in the film, he just is playing the kind of typical authority figure that is just mean and nasty that you see in many children's films. Um, but his one kind of defining characteristic is he has this leg that is has been, he, we learn, had been injured in the war. He's wearing this clunky metal brace that often malfunctions, uh, causes him to walk funny. And it, it's that sort of man-machine, you know, he is this kind of clunky, mean version of a machine. And in some ways, I wonder if that isn't kind of Hugo's you know, part of that. He's becoming some of this. The nice thing with the inspector is that over the course of the film, he becomes a person. And, and in fact, it is Hugo, his interactions with Hugo are, he's being fixed, so to speak, and to the point where at the mm-hmm. end, you know, Hugo makes him a, a, a wonderful brace that works perfectly. Well, that's moving in an interesting way towards one of the things that I'm still struggling about with the film, because part of the resolution at the end of the film, there there is a turnaround for the inspector. And just from a thematic standpoint, he becomes human when he makes a conscious decision mm-hmm. uh, not to follow the laws machine-like, but to uh, you know make a personal choice. And then that is rewarded by the fact that Hugo, who is very good with gadgets, or one of his friends, is somehow able to fix the leg. 
uh, and you get a notion of the machines or the technology being in service to human beings. That dovetails very nicely with the notion of the movies, the main character, you know, Hugo, when he gets involved with this Ben Kingsley character, uh, the Ben Kingsley character turns out to be George Millier, who is an early filmmaker and is largely forgotten. And there's a lot of discussion about the purpose or function of movies. What do they do? Uh, do they invent dreams? Do they entertain us? Do they take us on adventures? Uh, one of my concerns about the film was whether or not it was almost idolatrous it towards movies in the sense of like, well, movies are inherently good, and so a life served making movies inherently has purpose. And one of my struggles is, well, how is that any different than fixing clocks, or is it something about the movies that makes it more purposeful than other jobs or, or other work. And there may be a hint in that in terms of the use of technology to help the instructor, which is to say it's not that technology is bad, but is technology being used in such a, or machines being used in such a way to enhance and fix human beings who are broken, or is it being used in such a way as to break them? You know, the inspector, it's not a coincidence, lost his leg in World War One, and uh, is broken because that of his experience in the first technological war. And Millier says part of why he stopped making movies was because of the advent of World War One, and people were no longer interested in his, you know, in his mm -hmm. work. So... Uh, I do think that there is something about the inspector character that's necessary or crucial for working out uh, this relationship with technology and what it means to be broken. I'm not sure that I quite got there with the sense of purpose because all the discussion was around having to have a purpose, but then I'm not sure what Hugo's purpose was other than to solve this mystery or get to the end of the story. And so, like, once you solve it, do you no longer have a purpose? I mean, for for a child, I mm -hmm. guess, you know, that maybe gets into the question of what is the purpose? What, what is your purpose when you are a child? Right. Um, and, and the other part of it was he was, you know, even in the midst of his trying to find and, you know, fix this machine and find out what the message from his father was going to be, um, he still, he had this purpose of running around keeping the clocks running. You know, it was a very practical mm -hmm. purpose. Um, and I think we, we see that also with the girl character. This girl who kind of pops in and she's the spunky, kind of rich kid who has never had an adventure and is so excited that she can meet a poor kid and have an adventure. But by the end of the film, I mean, she's been, you know, very instrumental in various things. And there's all this talk of purpose. And Hugo seems to have, if not found a purpose, found a place. He's found a new family. Right. He, he's already shown that he's incredibly adept at machines, clock making, those sorts of things. And one could easily imagine him, you know, in the life after the film, growing up to become some sort of engineer. Oh, I didn't see that at all. I mean, right. at the end in the party, he's doing magic tricks. Well, he's doing so magic. The yeah. progression seems to be more from the mechanical toys to uh, he's becoming an artist, right. you know, who is making illusions. Or, you know, the engineer, I mean, that, that was the thing about Millier was he, he was the magician who became the, 
in a sense, the toy maker. Right. With all of his machines. I use engineer, I guess, in a, mo- a broader sense of inventor. Uh, well, and- he became that, but really, he was the magician who became the artist. Yeah. Uh, in the filmmaker. When he becomes a mechanical toy maker, he says that was with the little bit of money that he had left for making the films uh, and that he bought the shop, but that also seems to be broken, that that's not mm-hmm. his, you know, that that's not his sense of purpose. And uh, his wife talks about how much pain he has from trying to forget the past and not trying to live in the past. And so I certainly got the feeling like the making of the mechanical toys was a false path for him mm. that that was not, that could be. not a progression uh, or an integration of his skills or dreams or aspirations into the next level, but what he was doing because that's what was available. And You know, with Hugo, he's constantly talking about fixing broken things. Yes. Is his purpose. And however that manifests itself, I think he's going to have a purpose. What I found odd was... You know, the girl was, at one point, says to him, it would have been nice to have known one of my parents. You know, we find out that her her parents had been killed when she was very, very young, and she was taken in. And, yeah, she says, well, maybe if I, maybe if I would have known my parents, I would know what my purpose is. And we get to the end of the film, and everybody is, it, you know, it's a very happy ending. And everybody is, seems to have found their place. And... We're left with her. And, you know, what's her purpose? And it seems to be that she's, you know, she's the recorder. Right. You know, she starts writing a book that is very obviously going to be the the story of Hugo. Um, she's really into books throughout the whole movie. Throughout the whole thing. And she gets to become an author. And, and that, you know, maybe that's her purpose. And so, you know, in terms of the movies... You know, there is a lot to be said in the film about, you know, and the film tries to say a lot about movies. I'm uh, sensing some... But I, I, I guess I, I don't know that I can go with you as far as, as what, where you were going with the importance of movies in the... or the idolatry of film. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I didn't really tease out that thought. I, there is this notion, I guess... Uh, there's a, a scene at the very end, towards the very end, where... Uh, Hugo has rediscovered who George Millier is and put him in contact with the film historian, and that prompts him to do a search and find some of his films that they thought were lost. And Millier introduces a retrospective of some clips of some films, and Millier says something along the lines of, you know, you are magicians and mermaids and all of these particular things. And then there's a backlight from the screen behind him and he's standing with his hands extended. And it seemed to me to be very, almost, I I think, intentional, Christ-like imagery Mm -hmm. where um, visually, it wasn't wasn't overt and it wasn't heavy-handed, but there were a couple of places where... It, it almost seemed as though the filmmaker was being equated with God, you know, and had these godlike powers. Mm-hmm. That um, I think in another place, the the film historian talks about meeting, going to Millier's studio as a child. And Millier says, "Have you ever wondered where dreams are come from? You know, they come from here. We right. make them. Right. I make them. Right. You, you know, this is knowing a little bit about Martin Scorsese. I mean, this is a man who reveres films." 
and film history. And, and, and I'm down with that. I mean, I, I love film. Uh, but there's a point in which Hugo says to Millier about the automaton, which has fallen on the railroad track, it's broken. And Millier says, no, it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Or, right. you know, and, and I was like, what is that? You, you know, it, it brought me a family. It got my films rediscovered, you know. And, I mean, in the larger sense, this is a happy ending because his films were rediscovered and film is important. And on a personal level, as someone who loves films, I like that. But on a, on a deeper spiritual or transcendent level, it, it, I felt like the film was telling me that there was something about film or people who make films that made them more important or more purposeful on a higher spiritual elevated plane than just the rest of the people who were in. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I guess I read that, that scene with the, the broken mm-hmm. automaton on the track is a little bit, I don't know, I don't know if less cynical is the, the right word. <laughs> but, I mean, the reason that it was important, you know, that certainly the drive to rebuild the automaton brought Hugo not necessarily a family, but brought him in connection with human beings. Yes. Um, having Millier's films rediscovered, yes, that was important, um, but it, it brought him back to his purpose, and it also it brought him back into connection with other human beings. Um, yeah, you know, with the film historian, and then with others. Um, I just, I guess, I was reading that more as what what the automaton did was it brought people who were who were isolated at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. brought them back into connection with other human beings okay and that in and I was in, in that sense that's what its job was and 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 then in that sense you start thinking about well I mean the automaton was just a big toy mm-hmm. you know it's a really complicated amazing toy but what's the purpose of play is to bring people together do you think the movies do that I think they can. And, you know, I, and I, I definitely think that, you know, one of the wonders, and, you know, it's certainly one of the things that you get with Scorsese is he is all about, you know, the wonder of the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the wonders is that you have, well, and we saw it at the screening, you know, you've got all of these strangers who we've never met each other, except for, our, you know, our little group, obviously. We all come together in a dark room and watch a story. And... Throughout the whole story, all of us were being moved emotionally in various ways. You, you know, we could see the people around us responding. And even at the end, there was some applause. And cl- I mean, people, we, we were kind of having this communal experience. Yes. Um, now, yeah, we, we walked in strangers. We walked out strangers. But for that two hours, we were together. And, and, and certainly the, the effects of other people watching the film affected me as well. Um, yeah, I've. I've seen films sitting in the theater totally by myself, and I've seen been in a packed theater, and it's a totally different energy. Um, so I think, you know, at least maybe if it if it isn't film itself, it's the cinema experience of going to the going to the movies. Right. Well, I, you know, I was close. Uh, I I wasn't quite there with the film. I mean, I enjoyed the film as a film, uh, but I felt like I think what I wanted was some kind of theme akin to 
Ecclesiastes of sow your seed in the morning, do not let your hands be mm-hmm. idle because you don't know what will succeed, whether this or that. What, that engagement with life was a good thing. That purpose, in an abstract sense, it's important to have a purpose. Right. And I think I was very much in tune with that message to sort of say there's something that's alienating and separating and, um, well, I mean, it's set in the 1920s and that was the lost generation, the right. generation of, of alienation, of feeling the purposelessness uh, of life and that, you know, having a purpose inherently makes life better. I, I kind of felt like what the film gave me was not that purpose was good and everyone had to find their own purpose but that his purpose was good because it was attached to an object or a work that was inherently good or inherently Mm. you know inherently better and you know in some ways maybe i'm reading too much into that because of what i think i know about martin scorsese or because it ends up being about movies and say hey what do you know what i do has a higher purpose, sure. you know, spiritual purpose than uh, what anyone what anyone else does, you know, about how having a purpose really was the key to uh, making Hugo whole, you mm-hmm. know, or, or not broken. It's funny you use the word key because I was mm-hmm. sitting there thinking about, well, a couple of things about that whole dynamic you're talking about, which is the mystery of the automaton mm-hmm. is solved when, you know, Hugo has got everything perfect. It's clean. The machine is cleaned. He's got all the parts together. Everything that he can tell is there, except it won't work. Right. Until he finds a key that happens to be in the shape of a heart. Um, and, you know, once he puts the heart key into the machine, it, it works and it does. Mm-hmm. But I was also thinking about the inspector, coming back to the inspector. Right. Um because, you know, here's a guy who does have a purpose. Um, you know, from, from the get-go, he has a very distinct purpose. He's, he's the inspector. He keeps order in the train station. And he seems to have a special purpose of, you know, capturing misbehaving children. And he's really mean and nasty in fulfilling his purpose until he starts having this encounter with this woman. And when love comes into his life... He starts, you know, he finds himself snatching, giving him this facial expression of, hey, come on, just a kid. Um, and that really, he struggles with that. Um, mm-hmm. And toward the end, but, you know, by the end of the film, he, he has definitely changed. He still has the same purpose in the sense of he's the inspector. Um, but there, you know, there does seem to be something about that the presence of love. Yeah changes the nature of how one goes after one's purpose. And I wonder how that fits in. With- well, that, that, you know, that's a really good point. And I think that you, I want to go back to a word that you used earlier, which I think is helping me a great deal. And that's community of, of film being a communal experience, because I think that resonates very strongly throughout the film. Uh, Hugo would not have been able to solve the riddle he would not have been able to get the key Mm -hmm. until he comes in contact with other people right um and it is through that willingness to engage other people uh and there are all sorts of places along the way in the film in which other people have that key bit of information or that thing that you need to make you whole 
Uh, I, I think going back to Hugo's analogy of the machine, of there being no obsolete parts, so I'm not an obsolete or useless part. But that also means that no one else is, too, and that, that um, the willingness to engage in and with other people is the thing that saves you or helps mm -hmm. you get the piece of information that you can on your own. I'm thinking, for instance, of um, the girl's infatuation with books and through that she knows the bookstore uh, owner the bookshop keeper who is the one that's able to direct her uh, because he trusts her and has interacted her to the film history books where they find a key answer that they that they know you know I think that because of the wife uh, and the engagement with uh, the wife and the interaction with the wife, they're able to uh, show the film. And so I think there, there are key places, like you mentioned with the inspector, where interactions with, with other human beings, rather than simply being isolated and compartmentalized, it is a good thing. And I, that resonates to me from a Christian perspective, because I think we're made, I think we're hardwired to be in community mm -hmm. and that part of our purpose is to be in community and I say that as someone who's a bit of a misanthrope and not uh, I don't mean that in a social way you know like oh we're made to, made to be around a lot of other people but we're not made to be alone it's not good right. for, for man to be alone and I think that the movement from brokenness to wholeness is a movement from uh, being alone to being integrated um and I think that's that's certainly very compatible with Christian theology and with Christian ideas, even if it's not an, an overtly mm -hmm. Christian film. Yeah, I would agree. It's um, coming from some of Scorsese's other films. I mean, I think we can say he he thinks deeply about the human condition, mm -hmm. which is what I was looking for, and he did not disappoint. Right, and to be able to do that within the context of a children's film that is neither pandering or simplistic in its message to children, but still gives us as adults something to uh, think about or, or grapple with on a, on a, on a more elevated level is quite an achievement. You're yes. not, I doubt that we would have this length of discussion about happy feet too. Probably not. All right. Uh, so Todd, anything else you want to say about the uh, Hugo? Only, the only thing I would bring up is, you know, this has all been, you know, kind of abstract talking about themes, but, yeah, this is the only film I saw this year that actually got me misty-eyed at the end. And okay. so it, it's a very effective film in, you know, emotionally as well as philosophically. And were you okay with that? Or, you know, sometimes it'll make you misty-eyed, but you feel like, oh, I'm being manipulated. And no, I, that, that's one of the things I, I, I did not feel manipulated. So I, it, it, earned, earned, yeah. it, it earned the right to yank at your, your heartstrings. It did. All right. Well, uh, this concludes this episode. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have comments or suggestions, you can contact us at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow Ken at twitter.com backslash Ken Moorfield or read my reviews at the number one morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!